Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhardt. How you doing? Welcome to the Solar Coaster. Where are we? 50, 53. 53. All right. 53. This is, this is the true anniversary episode. Here we are. Here we are, man. Here we are. <laughs> I yeah. Believe, I can't yeah. believe you made me do this. Yeah, ago. really. Jeez. 53. It's hard to believe we got here. But uh, it is a beautiful day out here in Maui, Jay. Absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, it stopped raining at my house. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we have, uh, yeah, it's been such it was so funky earlier in the week, but now we got this great weather, gorgeous sun, and uh, so it's so nice to be here and just kind of dig into this really it's special. Nice. I don't mind the rain. No, well, <laughs> it can, means I, I turn off the irrigation. You don't have to pay for it. So we got an amazing show for everybody here uh, today. This is about uh, what's happening over in Hawaii Island and uh, the the eruption and the, uh, the the volcano and also geothermal and renewable energy. It's kind of a mix of you know what we do and then also what's happening. Sure. In I mean, we've, we've never shied away from other types of, of quote-unquote renewable energy, right? Um, this is, I don't think the geothermal necessarily is, is renewable. I mean, eventually the Earth will cool and will go away. <laughs> but, I mean, it's certainly not within our lifetime, right? Right. Well, like, it's not, I guess, in perpetuity, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and, infinitely uh, but I mean, there. you could say the same thing about the sun. Sure, so. sure. <laughs> as far as we're, uh, we're concerned, it's pretty renewable. So, yeah, um, yeah we're going to have this. We have an amazing um, interview with uh, Marco, Man- Marco Mangelsdorf yep. of ProVision Solar, who's a real uh, visionary. Formerly in- of HEI. <laughs> yeah. That was we'll owned. Find, we'll find out about, about, about H- HEI originally, that company, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, back in early 2000s. And uh, we're going to hear all about exactly what's going on to the moment in Big Island, uh, you know, uh, from Marco's words uh, directly. Right. So we spoke right. with him this morning, and we're going to get right into that again. Um, yeah, and it's just an amazing, amazing opportunity to look at uh, this uh, island grid and see how geothermal is playing a role, uh, not only in this kind of, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in the past uh, 10 or so years. It was from 93 on, I think, Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually got quite a bit of a yeah. run to it. It's a lot of stability there, <laughs> providing a lot of power for a long time. Then all yep. of a sudden, now we got a big question mark, right? right? right. Uh, because of what's happening with the eruptions. So, uh, yeah, do stay tuned. We're going to have a great show today. Let's just do uh, jump into our housekeeping, shall we, and get through this. Yeah, okay? Yep. Sounds like a plan. All right, so folks, uh, welcome to the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy-themed talk show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found at, at our studio home at KOI 1110 AM, Fridays at 105 PM. Uh, we're also on some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. It is a call-in show. 242-7800 is the call-in line. 242-7800. Do give us a shout. Let let us know what you're thinking. Yep. Okay. Although this interview is pre-recorded, so right. we'll, we just... we'll talk to you after the interview. Yeah, there you go. We need to. Yeah. How about the website? Website, www.solar-coaster.com. You can go there, get all our old shows, an entire year's worth now, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, as well as uh, some other articles. We, have, we try to post articles as, as we go if there's something interesting up there. Uh, scroll down the bottom of the page. You can get on the mailing list. Uh, if you can't call in during show hours or you're very far away from us uh, at the time, you can still submit a question there. We do get emails from time to time from folks. Uh, they come right to our inbox. So if you have any questions you can't get on air, uh, certainly it. submit a question question on the website. Absolutely. We also have uh, some uh, great sponsors, Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonam Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Uh, I think we're going to see another sponsor join the stable in the next week or so. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. So maybe, <laughs> good, good. maybe some local talent. We'll see what happens. Okay. Nice. How about our podcasts? Podcasts are great. Um, if you can't listen during the actual show hours, like I said, you can go to our website. You can check, click into that. But we're also available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So whatever your preferred podcast method is uh download us take us on the road yeah listen download share all that jazz and our, please <laughs> click like and subscribe <laughs> there you go that tells us we're the people out there <laughs> all right let's get right into our news and events what do you say all right sounds like a plan we've got so much news going on um 10.3 million people are employed Ooh, in boom. renewables is it renewables as renewables as a whole, or is that solar? That's, renewables this is, this is renewables as a whole. Renewable energy um, sector employs 10.3 yeah. so, million people. Yep. Yeah. So this this is a new uh, report, the annual report from IRENA, which is the International Renewable Energy Agency, um, and they put out the total 2017 report. 10.3 million people were working in renewable energy, with 60 percent of the jobs in Asia. Um, and if you look at the graph here, yeah. um, I mean the map. Three, you mean? Yeah, the map. Yeah, <laughs> the map is just is heavily, heavily in favor of China. Right. It's proportionate. They have these kind of like um, these circles showing the scale and the size of the uh, the actual employment and China in, in particular. Yeah, China, China with 3,880 and I'm not sure, that's it's, that's thousands, right? Yeah. Um, so so 388,000. Yeah. Um, but the closest next is the entirety 
of the European Union, and that, excluding Germany, unfortunately. Um, but that's twelve thousand sixty-eight. So right. So I think that's I think that's times. three. I think that's three point eight eight million in China and okay. one point two six eight million that, in that the would European make Union, yeah, right? And about uh, just under a mil in the United States, uh, seven hundred eighty-six thousand. Yep. So a lot. Of, I mean, just a lot Interest, of jobs. Interesting there, though. Do you see the one down South America? I do, and I, I got to <laughs> tell you, you know, I have a little bit of a relationship with Brazil myself with mm-hmm. my family. Are you surprised uh, to see that number? So I, what we're looking at right now is Brazil has actually yeah. outstripped the United States. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I got to tell you, I was having a, I was having a um, conversation with Erica, who is my sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. She's Brazilian. She's here visiting, yep. uh, and she and we she was we were discussing solar in Brazil just yesterday. Yep. And the conversation was, um, you know, it's it, it, she's like, I don't know how much is actually happening out there, and I'm, I'm 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 like I'm pretty sure it's starting to ramp, but there's some you know Brazil tends to have a kind of protectionist policy with like importing of products, really difficult to set up businesses. Mm-hmm. That's the way Brazil operates, right? Sure. So um, and I'm like, I think it's ramping, but I didn't have any evidence to the fact. Right. And then I'm looking at it right here, and it's like the number five. It's like China, EU, United States, and, or it's actually number actually, three. Sorry. China, China, EU, Brazil, and the United States. And there was a volume of jobs. Yeah, I was what, the heck? <laughs> what the it's, heck? It, they've, they've got 100,000 more people on this than right. we do. Uh, yeah, it's remarkable. So kudos to Brazil. Uh, and I wonder how that spreads out in Brazil, you know, across the different renewable energy sectors. Yeah, it doesn't. it's not very clear about that. They, they talk about the total 10.3 million number and where those jobs are. I mean, obviously, the largest is in photovoltaic. Yeah. But about... Uh, it's actually closing in on two thirds is actually liquid biofuel. So the biodiesel and such that we were talking about before. Yeah, a big uh, part of this. Those, yeah. It's actually a large part, much more than I was aware of, right? It's, it's some, kind of something so that people sounds, don't talk, that, what is, talk what about. What is liquid biofuels? What is that? Is that's not, um, I mean, so it's like a. No, any, any, anything that you're making a organic product. So, like like biodiesel. Biodiesel is the, right. biodiesel is the biggest. So that could be, that uh, hang yeah. on a second, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. That could be the um, ethanol in Brazil. Correct. Right? Also, yeah. Because of sugar cane. Yes. Ah, maybe. Yeah. So I guess if you consider the agro uh, employment sector in Brazil, I wonder if that impacts that, you know? Because there's so much sugar cane down there. Yeah, I would think so. Would so, think and so. maybe that. Okay. Anyway, that's we'll have to explore a little bit more. So, right. um, if we do a, um, a trip to Brazil to figure all this out, I suggest we go during Mardi Gras. Jay. There you go. <laughs> <We're> doing, uh, <laughs> Any excuse parties. to party with you? What yeah, is that? that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> all right. All right. So, yeah, wonderful article. Check that out on Irina, guys. Let's go over to the Guardian. What's happening there? This is something that I've been yelling about since the beginning of the show. Go back to episode one and listen. <laughs> hydrogen, hydrogen, I mean, hydrogen. Obviously, those shows are painful to listen to now. But um, the the use of excess wind and solar to produce hydrogen, a report. Well, this is so obvious. It's obvious <laughs> to me. To, maybe, yeah, to me. But... I don't know. I mean, it just makes sense. We have this huge glut of um, what are these transitory resources, right? They're unstable. Uh, the sun comes up and goes down. It disappears. The solar also disappears off the grid. What do you do with that energy? Now, during the day, we have a huge amount of solar deployed. There are places in the world where they're actually producing more. They need to curtail yeah. power generation yeah. because they don't have any use for it, right? Mm-hmm. So they're basically shutting these things off and not accepting the energy yeah. because... No more, thank you. Yeah, no okay. more. Well, what do you do? That's totally wasteful. You already put out this product, yeah. right? You already put out these solar farms. You got a time decouple. Yes. <laughs> there you go. You like that, don't I love you? That time word. decoupling. It's time decoupling. Yes. So, so basically what it means is you're just going to take that energy and you're going to put it into some other storage. Now, a lot of the conversation right now is in lithium technology batteries. Right. Everybody wants to buy tons and tons of batteries and store And those batteries work fantastically well. Uh, uh, because there's a really, really good um, return on investment with your energy. If you put batter, batter, energy into a battery, you're going to get most of it back. Right. That's not really true with hydrogen, right? You can you can get a decent amount of it back, but and it's certainly better than wasting it. Depending on how you're depending using on it. how you're using yeah. it. Um, I've I've heard numbers uh, like the, the the fuel cells. I think are pretty obvious. It's, you only get about 53 percent of your actual electric input. Right back out of the water. But if you actually burn it, I have a feeling that you get much more, right. especially if it's done in a controlled, obvious... And the, whole, the full gist of this is it's 53% of something you would have lost 100% You would have lost 100% of, <laughs> of right? <laughs> exactly. Why wouldn't you? So, and, but it's also easily transportable. It's easily moved around. And it, yeah, it can be used in different forever. ways. I mean, if you have a lithium right. battery like that, you really can't, you can't let it sit there. It does it does dissipate right. over energy over time. It's actually bad for the battery. I mean, right. their, their storage voltage is around 70% yep. of where you actually want it 
of capacity, so you wouldn't let it sit there at 100% forever because you're damaging the battery. Yep. So hydrogen will sit there indefinitely, and you can always dip into it when let's you just, need it. Let's just grab that sunshine. Let's just chuck it in a yeah. in, in, in and, a tank. And if you and, re- and if you remember, we were also talking about that gigantic. Was it 200 meg? What, over in, in Sweden, in Saudi Arabia, oh, oh, okay, the Saudi okay. Arabia. Thing. Oh, you were saying that was going to be hydrogen. I, I think that's going to be hydrogen. I really, really <laughs> well, do. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. <laughs> Very good. I mean, I, I, what I'm encouraged by is is seeing that hydrogen is popping up in the news consistently now. Right. Yeah. That's it was, a good it was sign, something. It was something that know? was really, really hard to talk about. I mean, early on, everybody's talking. The first thing they say is Hindenburg. You, <laughs> you know? can't even finish the word hydrogen, even, yeah, hydrogen without I mean, someone saying Hindenburg. They both start with H, and everybody goes, "Ah, the sky is falling," or something's falling out of the sky. It's 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 not like that. Hydrogen is actually so light that if you had a leak, it literally disappears off into the atmosphere before you can ignite feet per it. Second. Yeah, 65 feet per second, it's going up back. Yeah. In the As opposed to propane, which you know sinks down sinks in, pools in pools and creates right. a, hey, please yeah. light me on fire yeah. and blow right. up. Right? Yep, so, exactly. It's, it's interesting, the, the, the relative sense of safety of these products, of these technologies, or these storage storage chemicals, what right. I say. I don't yeah. know. Um, you know. Yeah, gases, these gases. Yeah. Uh, you know, but in, it's kind of like a bit of a misnomer, right? The idea that hydrogen is this you know scary, volatile, like, unmanageable thing. In yeah. reality, it is very manageable. It's very appropriate, and it's going to be a big f- part of it in our future. For I, I would think so. I'd certainly yeah. like to see that. Uh, next up, so we go right into national news. Um, this is big, and my oh, my geez. father sent me this email when it, this, this, this news article, like first thing in the morning. It said California will require solar power for new homes. This is essentially Bam. like our um, hot water, our solar yeah. hot water mandate, right? Um, but the first thing he says, well, we lost the lead as the state of Hawaii. And I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> how, I mean, how, however. In, in a particular, yeah, I mean, yeah, in a particular area, in a small, you could say that, you could say that. I mean, okay. we've, we've, we've lost, you know, th- this is a very um, uh, progressive policy. Oh, absolutely. Right? But, but there's, there's a specific reason for it, is they have a mandate for the state, California law requires, and this is a law now, that at least 50% of the state's electricity to come from non-carbon producing sources by 2030. 2030. Right. So when we talk about our 100 percent, yeah, our 100 percent mandate, that's 2045. Yeah. I mean, that's 15 years sooner than that, and they're looking at 50 percent, and they're specific to non-carbon producing. So that rules out stuff like your liquid biofuels. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Oh, right, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. So very rigorous and really exciting to see that happen. And I'd love to see this uh, policy adopted or copycatted across the country well, I think it, like yeah, brush now, fire. Yeah, now that it's done, it's probably going to be all over the place. And we will probably pick it up in short order. Let's do we've it. Had, we've had that solar hot water think, mandate I mean, for a long time. There's a challenge with that here because we really need the right kind of programming uh, available on the utility side to be able to allow to leverage it, right? all, all that solar in. Yeah. Right? So, it's of course, if it's microgrid, capable, then you have the opportunity not to backfeed. But still, you know, that's a, I think there's some political headwinds uh, in making that, that particular thing happen here because we don't, because we don't have wheeling. Right, right. And exactly. that's just the nature of that, Hawaii, right? You know, wheeling being the ability to sell power from one TMK to the next, as right. opposed to. And that kind of prohibits. Sell, selling electricity is purely the, the purview of the utility. Right. And, and until there's a legislative change, we can't do it. Yeah, but let's get that legislative change done, policymakers. Okay. 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 <laughs> uh, we got an interesting one over here on, um, uh, what is this here? This is GreenBiz, that one? Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, this is uh, there's a, a group of guys out of Yale trying to figure out how to tap into the renter market for solar. And what they're doing is effectively they're saying, hey, you know, um, and I've been in this in, the, in this in this conversation quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Does it, uh, you know, it does it. How do you incentivize a uh, a landlord to put in solar uh, when he's not paying the electric bill for his tenants? Right. Right. Yeah. And but the thing is, the 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 and then and then how do you provide you know the value for him uh, or or her the landlord? Well, yeah. And the, then, the opposite is true. The renter is sitting there. Well, I don't want to invest in this guy's building because I'm not going to be here all right. that long. <laughs> but if you could, but that but that renter is paying the pre- premium rates to the utility for electricity. Sure. So there's room in here, you know, with the savings that one could find in solar with tax credits to be able to provide a good return on investment uh, for the capital investment from the landlord and also to provide lower energy rates uh, to the renter. And if the renter can pay that to the landlord, right, Oh, okay. Then there so you, is so you're, the trying, so you're trying to get like a PPA deal between yeah. the landlord yeah, something and his like this. tenants. Something like the renter's PPA is the name of it, and yeah. it says uh, is a seed stage business started by Russell Heller, a junior at Yale College. Jeez, a junior's out here starting some startups. It's pretty cool. Yep. And Carrie Krasinski, a lecturer at Yale School of Management. Who I have a feeling is the. Uh, oh yeah. 
Um, Push behind that. <laughs> okay. Um, but this is something, I mean, I, I think there's some opportunity here. I mean, you got to see, though, it's, it's all about, you know, how easy it is to do. Because, you know, the, I don't, if it needs to, it needs to be really kind of like easy to understand well, and easy to implement. Again, it comes down to the utility programs. I mean, if, if, if the utility programs don't really allow mm-hmm. them to, to recapture the investment, then nobody's going to want to do it. It's as simple as that. Right. <laughs> there right. needs to be a money, monetary and they, case. And they for mention it. that in here. They talk very loosely about the necessity of what is effectively net metering. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know how fragile that is out here because we don't have it anymore. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, this is predicated, I guess, in this initial model on the idea of some form of net metering being available. But you know, once again, good to see this kind of movement to further democratize renewable energy. And no, uh, provide yeah, value. Absolutely. I mean, I'd love to see this. And it's there's an interesting conversation point in this mm. that is truly about how um, was it landlords generally have a large number of properties. So you're talking with a company right. who owns a lot of actual properties, single buildings, or right. or multiple buildings, lots, um, and they rent out all these locations. It's a high value target for an installer who generally spends a huge amount of money on advertising and trying to capture... Cost of client acquisition. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So instead of getting one client for your, your investment, you're getting how many sites over how many Absolutely. buildings. And Absolutely. so the large landlord companies are truly um, a high-value target. So we're going to go into our Hawaii uh, section. We haven't got a lot of time here. So just mm-hmm. to, just touch base on some some good news and, sh- and kind of share where it's at. So Solar Power World Online 2018 NSYNC Energy builds solar storage for Hawaiian affordable housing. So NSYNC, these guys are just mavericks. They're out here doing business all over the place. Everything. Really impressed and, by and pretty, them. I mean, I keep hearing the name. And every single time we turn around, they're, they're doing another new install, another new PPA. This this is fantastic. This is the Keahumoa Place Affordable Housing Development, a, a greenfield project uh, that's expected to be completed in 2019. Yeah. And they're going to, uh, what is it, two, Seven. seven, 750 kilowatts. Of solar and 500 solar. kilowatt hours of storage, yep. and they got something really unique. And I think this is the most important thing to just touch base on here. Um, they have uh, something called the proprietary true peer-to-peer DC link behind each unit's utility meter. So it looks, and we're going to have to call these guys up. I think it's time for an NSYNC and uh, Holu show yeah. because this is, sounds like really groundbreaking. And as far as we know, we're not sure how that works considering wheeling. Yeah. So maybe this is a big CPR TMK, and you're okay. pushing across an, an existing TMK, and that's why. You, have, you can get away with it. That's my guess. I, I would, I would um, hope so. But right. it's, it's a platform that interconnects individual units. So I would think so. Yeah. I mean, house, you're talking you know, about condo house, one, uh, condo, condo two, one, condo two, three, little duplexes. Right. You're shooting that over in DC. It's a DC link. It's a DC connection. That's, 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 that's kind of that's kind of a loophole. Yeah. I like it. I like it. So let's, but, let's but well done. Check Good that out, guys. It's amazing. We will get them on the show though. Also, <laughs> PVMagazineUSA.com. Fast solar ramp in Hawaii can save three to seven billion per rhodium group. That's the group that did the analysis. Long story short, they uh, did a couple of uh, um, analyses here, um, and they were able to you know to determine that if we were to ramp up and do more solar and more storage more quickly, we could save between three and $7 billion over this period of time. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is not the first time this, <coughs> this conversation has come up, is that it would actually be cheaper in the long run. And it's just everybody has to do a lot of work in a short amount of time. And we're taking all the work that needs to be done and compressing it right. into a much shorter and time And the volatility frame, like the next, of fossil fuel prices so. kind of indicate that range of three to seven. It's sure. like if it's lower, you know, cost, you know. So we need to um, move fast is really what the message seems to be continuing it, to be. It absolutely, it absolutely is. Um, basically, what this is, They've put this out here, Mm -hmm. and they're going to hope that uh, HEI will pick up the ball and run with it. Okay, and one last thing before we wrap. The uh, large-scale large, large scale solar project on 11 acres in South Maui uh, has been approved and turned on, and there's megawatts and megawatts of power being fed into the grid. This is our first utility-scale solar system. Owned by HEI, right? Um, no, this no. is not owned by HEI. That's this not. is um, owned by a Haleakala Ranch Company in Pasture, uh, and Kenyon Energy. They put this together, and these are some, you know, some people that we we know, and uh, they've done amazing work here. So I think we're going to get a, 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 an exclusive on this uh, particular uh, system in the upcoming weeks from a friend of ours. Looking forward uh, to so that. Shout out to her and her friends. So how okay. about we go right into uh, the next uh, our, our commercial break, and then we'll uh, come back with uh, with um, Marco's Marco's, Marco's ready to go. Yeah. Okay. Aloha, and welcome to Maui Solar Project. It is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to
to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. MauiSolarProject.org. Tsubuchi Electric, a leading worldwide inverter manufacturer, presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tsubuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tsubuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. The Sonin Battery Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. Okay, everybody. Uh, well, we're back, and thanks so much uh, uh, for uh, those amazing sponsors, right? Uh, they keep us All on the sponsors air. keep us rolling. Do appreciate them. Thank you, sponsors. All right. So we're really fortunate to have an amazing guest speaker today on the Solar Coaster, Mr. Marco Mangelsdorf from ProVision Solar in Hawaii. Uh, hey, can you hear us okay, Marco? Loud and clear, and I'm I'm humbled by your your kind introduction and uh, your very kind offer to have me uh, talk to you guys today. Thank you very much. It's a treat on this uh, sunny, wonderful Aloha Friday here in the beautiful Hilo town. I really right. do appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on board. You know, Marco, we, we, I think you and I have met maybe once or twice before in the solar industry, and then I just caught your uh, your great podcast with Barry Cinnamon um, maybe a month ago or something. And so, you know, we, when there's a lot going on in your neck of the woods these days. So we were really kind of um, interested to connect with you and get your perspective on not only what's happening with uh, the, the, the volcano, but renewable energies and in general, and then also specific to Hawaii Island. So that's kind of the type of conversation we were hoping to have with you and learn about, you know, what you think about all this. So um, let's just jump right in, Marco. Can you give our um, listeners, you know, a sense of who you are and what your background is and, and kind of how you got into the position of, of, of where you're at right now? Sure, I'd be happy to. I, I'm uh, marking my 40th year in working in the solar energy field this year, which wow. kind of dates me a bit as a bit of an old fart. I don't have a gray beard because I have chosen not to grow my, my white beard gray. <laughs> Uh, and it's been uh, one heck of a ride. Uh, I have family roots here in the islands that go back to the 1920s when my grandparents moved and lived in Manoa Valley for over 60 years. My grandfather was a sugarcane geneticist and worked for various uh, companies and the Hawaii Sugar Planters Association, HSPA for short, for decades. And while I was born in California, I've been coming here, had been coming here since I was uh, a little Marco and moved here full-time about 18 years ago to join what was then a startup called ProVision Technologies. We were a wholly owned subsidiary of Hawaiian Electric Industries, which is the parent company of Helco, Hiko, Miko, and American mm. Savings Bank. Uh, we were pursuing off-grid back then because the grid time market really didn't take off in the state here until roughly 2007-2008. And back in 2003, the HEI board and their infinite wisdom decided to uh, 
to let us go or close ProVision down, essentially. And uh, rather than see it uh, go away, I made them an offer nice. to buy the company, and uh, we came to terms uh, July of 2003. So this July, it'll be 15 years that I will have been at the helm of uh, ProVision. So, you know, anybody who's been in solar for <laughs> even just a handful of years knows that uh, the solar coaster has been a wild and crazy ride and continues to be a wild and crazy ride in terms of solar PV. It's become a lot more complicated than it was uh, back in the net energy metering days, which were roughly 2001 to 2015. And uh, those of us who are still around have found, found ways to adapt, find ways to integrate energy storage and uh, somehow uh, you know, keep our, our ohanas fed and keep the cash flow going and keep the employees happy and get permits issued and install systems and get utility approval and so forth and so forth and so forth. So that's, <laughs> that in a nutshell is who I am and what I do. Wow, you said it all. You said it all. And 15 years in uh, in our industry, that is a really veteran operation, you know, for an installer, especially because the solar coaster is so volatile, you know, our namesake, right? And uh, so I really uh, can appreciate that that uh, your experience is there's a, is extremely uh, broad and and, and and heck of a heck of a background there. It's really interesting that the the company started with HEI. I, I find that fascinating, um, and maybe we can talk more about that later. But you know, it's it's amazing that it, that it that the utility because we tend to think of the utility as maybe not necessarily uh, you know thinking about renewable energies early on, right? But actually, they were towing the water it was way back then, huh? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the history of HEI over the past several decades. They had a number of interesting forays into different fields. They were developing power plants in places like Guam and Mongolia. Mm -hmm. They actually, believe it or not, they uh, own for a period of time Young Brothers Barge mm -hmm. Company. So they have kind of gone in different directions over time. But since Connie Lau, who's been CEO yeah. of HEI, going back to 2006, if memory serves correctly, and I have a tremendous amount of respect and aloha for Connie, uh, I think that uh, my impression compared to her predecessor, Bob Clark, is that HEI has been kind of more conservative in terms of focusing on their core businesses, which is obviously their three utilities, mm -hmm. which cover five islands, and then their uh, unregulated, well, it's, their American Savings Bank is regulated, but it's not, of course, part of the utility mm -hmm. framework. So it's, it's an interesting combination. I don't think you can find really hardly any, if any, uh, companies, holding companies in the mainland that own both utility companies and banks like HEI does. So, Right, right. That's a pretty unusual mix, right? Yeah. So, okay. Well, uh, that's some great history there. It's a lot of that's new, actually, to me personally. So let's talk a little bit about right now where we're at in the state. Um, we, we, of course, do want to uh, kind of circle back to what's happening in Hawaii Island right now and uh, what's happening with the eruptions and the geothermal. We, we, we expect to talk with you about that. But let's kind of start out uh, at the, in the bigger picture. And, uh, you know, I'd love to get a sense for what your take is on how we're getting to 100% renewable energies. I mean, how do we get to this stage? And then, where do you do you see it? Do you see it happening over a, a reasonable time period? Are there any uh, overt kind of barriers that are in place right now that you, that 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 are uh, you're concerned about? I mean, in the, on the state level, how are your feelings about this 100% renewable energy goal? Well, to be to be candid, uh, I've been a lot less uh, excited about projections and desires and targets of becoming 100% renewable in power generation in uh, 27 years from now, I'm a lot more, and I'll emphasize that, a lot more interested and concerned about the near-term viability, the near-term health of the solar industry here mm. in the state of Hawaii in terms of the next 6 to 24 to 36 months. You know, as uh, that noted economist of long ago, John Maynard Keynes, once opined, amongst many things he opined, you know, in the long run, we're all dead. And that sounds perhaps a little bit on the morbid side, but of course it's true. So I'm much more interested in what's happening in the near term, what's happening right in front of my face in terms of what are the trends, both uh, from a regulatory perspective, legislative perspective, utility perspective, what are the trends that are helpful and challenging to my business Absolutely. and to the industry writ large. So what are some of those trends that you're seeing? And we have these, all these, I mean, from, you know, just from a, 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 a um, an installer's perspective as well, uh, you know, from wearing my MSP hat, I see some opportunity, right? We see we have all these approved utility programs. So on the on the on the outset, it, it kind of looks like, wow, this is a kind of more more 
simultaneous approved utility programs that, w- that we've had a lot in the past, right? We've got all this great technology that is actually working in the field, right? <laughs> we have great tax credits in place and extended, and they're not declining uh, for a bit. And although we have the tariffs, you know, we have the, um, you know, pricing is, uh, is I guess, relatively stable in, 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 in panels and modules. What, do you, what is your thinking? I mean, do you feel like in this, like, 6, 24, 36-month timelines, do you feel like there's some major um, uh, landmines out there for us? Well, there's so much I can say in response to that. If we had two or three hours, probably mm. still wouldn't run enough out of interesting things to talk about, mm. guys. But <laughs> That's always our problem. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll note some some more kind of proximate uh, data points that uh, that may be of interest. So I, I'm a veteran data miner when it comes to looking at PV permits issued, uh, especially for Oahu, which mm. has got a fairly easy to mine database, and the Big Island, which has got a fairly easy to mine database. Unfortunately, County of Maui and Kauai less so. Mm-hmm. So I just was looking at the recently released PV permit data for the Big Island County of Hawaii for April, and mm-hmm. we were up by 120, well, up 21% compared to April of last year, and the first four months of this year, January, February, March, April, I haven't crunched those numbers yet, but I can tell you for sure that the PV permit numbers are up compared to the same uh, four months of last year. Fantastic. So that is a good trend. I really would like to believe, given the fact that the solar coaster slowed to its uh, slowest momentum uh, last year uh, compared to the previous eight or nine or ten years. So hopefully we bottomed out last year, and we're starting to see a bit of a of a you know upward movement for the mm-hmm. solar coaster. Uh, I don't have Oahu data yet for the first four months of the year, but as of the first three months of the year for Oahu, uh, they were also up, whereas, unfortunately, Maui County was down the first three months of the year mm-hmm, by 18% mm-hmm. compared to the same period last year. So kind of depending on when you focus on uh, in the state, there's some, there's some upward movement, and I'm hoping and do believe that with uh, the greater availability and affordability of battery storage, that this, uh, you know, want to, yes, yet again, we in Hawaii are leading the charge on the cutting and sometimes bleeding edge of the deployment of ready-to-go, ready-to-be-used, cost-effective battery storage compared to the rest of the United States. So we're seeing as many as 40, 50, 60 percent of all PV systems that are permitted now, including battery storage. So uh, I feel more optimistic at this point than I did four, five, six months ago, a year or two ago. But at the same time, I was also bitterly disappointed that our legislature Mm. uh, failed for the third straight time uh, two weeks ago, two Fridays ago, when it came to passing Senate Bill 2100, which would have established for the first time ever, I believe, in in the whole United States, it would have established a separate tax credit for the addition of battery storage to existing renewable energy systems. So very, very disappointed that uh, our colleagues and friends in the legislature couldn't bring that across the finish line. So we continue to have the same renewable energy tax credit that we've had for the past years, which is uh, 35 uh, percent with no sunset date. So uh, a lot's in play. And uh, I really, like I said, to repeat myself, hope that we've seen the bottoming out of the solar coaster last year and that we will start uh, creeping up again. Yes, I'm cautiously optimistic about the same thing. And, uh, yeah, it's great to hear those numbers. And we have been following your numbers over the years. And thank you so much for all that hard work that you do because it provides transparency in an industry that, you know, tends to be pretty opaque. So that's been a, a, a real uh, wonderful thing to have access to. So thank you so much. Um, let's 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 uh, move over to um, to Hawaii Island. And we really would want I really want to kind of get a sense from your perspective of how what's unique about Hawaii is there are I mean, from from a perspective of energy, I think we talked briefly earlier about the scale of the grid and what you have to work with out there. But can you give us a sense of of kind of how Hawaii Island works? Sure. So we're a population of right around 200,000. We've been, I believe, the fastest growing island in terms of population in the entire island chain these past years. We have, uh, if you look at uh, the contour of the uh, the island's uh, map, all the other islands and the rest of the chain can fit within the contours of the, the map of, uh, uh, of the big island. Uh, we have, uh, what, 14 or 15 climactic zones and uh, substantial resources when it comes to renewable energy from geothermal to solar to wind, maybe even ocean thermal energy conversion, which the folks at Nelha on the Kona side have been dabbling with for the past 40 years or so. So there's a rich abundance uh, that 
of energy here, renewable energy that would allow us, uh, should allow us to get to the highest percentages uh, in the state. In fact, the Big Island was the highest percentage in terms of renewable energy feeding into the grid last year compared to all the other islands. Now, that said, uh, a big chunk of that is Pune Geothermal Venture, which is the state's one and only geothermal plant about 20 miles as the crow flies from where I'm sitting right now in Hilo. And that power plant typically puts out somewhere in the mid-30s in terms of megawatts that is uh, purchased by Helco and has been feeding into the grid now for the past 25 years. That, That power plant went online in 1993. And that power plant was, in fact, shut down last week as a safety precaution and uh, why? Because it's within proximity of the uh, the East Rift Zone. In fact, right on the East Rift Zone, on the flank of Kilauea Volcano. And as anybody who's been watching the news at all in the past week or 10 days knows, we've been having eruptions and multiple fissures, earthquakes, toxic gas, and so forth. So Helco crews have been working around the clock, as far as I know, trying to help people out, keep the power on where they can. Hmm. They've also had to bring in backup generation. And when I mean bring bring it in as in turn it, turn it on, they have a power plant in Keao that typically they do not operate much, if any, using fossil fuels. And that, interestingly, is about the same output of PGV. So there's no problem at this point in terms of being able to meet demand by bringing up backup generation. So, you know, the big question is, is PGV going to be gone forever? And we don't know. Yet, if it gets inundated by lava, I think it's safe to say that that's 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 uh, that's it for PGV. They're not going to come back in our lifetime, most likely. Can you? So, uh, you know, there's a high degree of anxiety, you know, mm. and especially for the folks who have been forced to leave their homes, their properties, their pets, 2,000 of them or so, hundreds living in shelters, and uh, a great a great anxiety as far as what comes next, because uh, you know, as we all. No, um, the Pu'u'o'o vent, which has been um, active uh, on the flanks of Kilauea, has been erupting since 1983, 35 years. So how much longer is this one going to go on? And what's the effect going to be on on the folks who live in that area? Uh, what's going to be the effect on the, the island's ability to, uh, to meet uh, various targets for renewable energy? I mean, this is all kind of uh, day-to-day up in the air in terms of how it's all going to all going to play out. But I, I know there's going to be more solar here. I know there's more likely than not going to be more wind. So I think, uh, you know, we're still very bullish on the Big Island leading the, the state in terms of renewable energy production and, and deployment. And, you know, it'll continue to happen. But in, uh, you know, with, with challenge, challenges like lava eruptions, we have to take a step back and pause and, uh, and do the best we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm interested in understanding, <clears throat> we talk about renewable energies across the board. So it's not just solar, of course, right? And so you mentioned that this uh, geothermal plant is the only one of its kind since 1993, I think you said, uh, in, in in Hawaii Island. And so, I mean, just for the sake of our listeners, you know, how does a plant like this operate? I mean, how are, are we getting our energy out of that? What's the scale of it? And, you know, you say, I think it, it's a pretty significant portion of the overall grid, right? Well, that's a great question. So the peak demand right now at this time of year on this island is about 150 megawatts, 150 megawatts. Now, in the wintertime, with people uh, having Christmas lights on, doing more cooking, uh, snowbirds from elsewhere, we peak a little bit higher to the tune of maybe 190, 195 megawatts. So let's just focus on right now we're about 150 megawatt peak, which uh, takes place typically in the evening hours, right, between 5 to 9 when people are home, cooking, bathing, washing, doing stuff like that. So the Pune Geothermal Plant has a max output or or provides Helco with somewhere between 35 to 38 megawatts worth of power. So if you do the math, which I'm doing right now, 35 divided by 150, that comes out to roughly 23, 24% of the islands uh, of Helco's total generation capacity, including independent power producers. About 23% is coming from one single uh, geothermal power plant. So it's certainly not trivial. Right. It's significant, yeah. Yeah, you're losing almost a quarter of your generating capacity <laughs> with this. Right, from this particular source. But like I said, there is substantial backup generation that Helco can tap into before the uh, the dreaded rolling blackouts become a possibility, and I've heard no discussion 
from anybody, including my Helco friends, in terms of that being in the card. So, so far, so good in terms of what they're able to bring online to make up for PGV going offline. Right. And, and where, where are these back up in relation to the, the mob activity? <laughs> Well, the, the plan I just referred to, uh, one of the backup plants, which is a combination steam and combustion turbine that is in Kao, and that's uh, roughly 36 megawatts. Mm -hmm. So Kao is uh, just south of Hilo uh, by about 10, 15 minutes, and there's a power plant there uh, right next to the, uh, the kind of cutoff road as you veer. Instead of going down to Volcano, you make a left uh, turn and you get down into Puna. So that's what they're they're bringing online. They call that the Puna plant. Uh, I don't know whether they could also conceivably ramp up uh, their plant in um, in Honoka, which is Hamakua Energy. Whether there's any more capacity they can bring online there. The biggest plant on the island is the Kiahole, which is almost 80 megawatts, and that's right right near the airport entrance there. And that's the to what extent it's uh, you know running 100%. I don't know. I'm not privy to that, but. You know, as I said, as far as I know, there's still a fair amount of margin left that Helco has to be able to bring online to uh, to meet demand. And uh, Marco, when we think about renewable energies, we often think about intermittent technology, intermittent uh, power sources like solar and wind, right? But in the case of geothermal, it's more of a firm type of power. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. It's considered firm power by by uh, Hawaiian Electric. Okay. And so the loss of uh, – so it's kind of a little bit of a different scenario because we're, we're, we're used to – it's almost like hydro, right? Like hydro tends to be more more like a firm type of power, correct? Well, hydro, in terms of dammed hydro, assuming that the water behind the dam doesn't dry up, mm. uh, hydro can be considered, for the most part, firm power. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, as far as I know, in the past decades, the PGV has been providing power to Halco under a power purchase agreement. They have not uh, failed to meet whatever uh, contractual obligations they've had. Right, right. So, okay, so we have this loss of, you know, predominantly firm power presently for the geothermal plant. We have the, the prospect of it being overtaken by lava. Um, how, how far out is the, are the fissures from the plant? Are they close by? I mean, are we talking... I thought it was built right on. Well, <laughs> well the, 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 I guess both the eruption sites, right? Yeah, it's, I think... That's... It's pretty damn close, guys. It's pretty damn close. If you look at the 15 fissures, the 15 vents that have split open, split the earth open in almost a straight line, the closest vent to PGV is several hundred yards. So, oh, several hundred yards. Correct. So, not, a, not, yeah. not several miles, but, I mean, you can see it on Google Earth, uh, whether it's the USGS putting the stuff out or Hawaii, uh, Honolulu Star Advertisers is concluding these maps as well. So it, it's pretty damn close, mm. and depending on how much lava continues or not to issue from these fissures, it's uh, well within the possibility, uh, if not likelihood, again, depending on the volume of lava and where it comes from, that the lava, of course, is drawn downhill, you know, force of gravity, mm -hmm. that uh, the PGV plant is certainly within the possible paths of lava flow as it seeks to go from a higher elevation to a lower elevation. And there was some, just some discussion, apparently, of what to do uh, with the possibility of runaway vents or run, run, runaway wellheads, excuse me. So as they're drilling 6,000, 8,000 feet into the earth, getting down into the, the hot part of the earth to be able to run uh, fluids and turn turbines, there has been a concern for, for decades, even before PVGV went online in 93, what were to happen, what, what would be the catastrophic catastrophe that would ensue if a wellhead were to, to blow out and be uncontrollable. So I was just reading earlier today that there's some proposal of, of, of flooding it with a whole bunch of water. So uh, in a, Mayor Harry Kim is involved, Governor Ige is involved, lots of other bright minds, a lot smarter than I am in terms of coming up with various uh, fixes or, or proposals to deal with the possibility of blown out wellheads. Blown out I think they'd have, they'd have to discuss that in, in quite a bit of detail with some engineers because Mike, I can see them pumping water fluids into it, but that flashes to steam and that becomes a serious explosive force. <laughs> right. I know. I know. It's... Uh, <laughs> You can imagine how the people uh, who are still living within a five, ten mile radius of PGV are feeling these days, not just the ones who have had to evacuate their homes in Leilani Estates, Leilani Puna Gardens, 
but those considerably you know farther away five or ten miles in terms of what what's the worst case scenario uh, or mid case mid worst case scenario that could happen at that plant that would really cause uh, a lot of havoc yeah um, and and just so we know they um currently the fishers are exuding lava um, is there any ballistic activity where there's actually flying rocks uh, gas eruptions that type of stuff or is it pretty calm you know, we're definitely we're definitely experiencing spatters I mean I've uh, heard reports of you know fountains being in the hundreds a hundred or plus feet oh, wow. in height Whoa. now keep in mind that uh, the, the the flow of lava has been kind of starting and stopping starting and stopping but what seems to be continuing, regardless of the lava flow, is that the noxious sulfur dioxide gases are continuing to issue forth, which, uh, depending on how the wind blows uh, or, or whether it kind of settles into the area, ha- can be very uh, dangerous, especially for those people who are, have uh, impaired breathing mm-hmm. due to lung issues or heart issues, uh, the elderly. So that's why I believe that the county uh, civil defense folks have been uh, you know, making the call, right call in terms of getting people out of there or ordering evacuations uh, sooner rather than later because uh, it's not just the earthquakes, it's not just the lava, but it's also the sulfur dioxide, which is uh, corrosive. And we've been having rain on and off for the past several days. So when uh, that happens, when there's sulfur dioxide, it's caught up in the rain, it becomes acid rain. Mm. So it's this interesting kind of trifecta that we've been dealing with here, earthquakes, lava flow, and poisonous gases and it's almost kind of you know quasi-apocalyptic book of revelation stuff when you think about it right right yeah i tend to think of all this uh potential energy right we're, we're harnessing this potential energy as a firm renewable energy source but it, it has the power to do um all this other activity and uh and right now we're experiencing and witnessing the power of that which is really remarkable and and like you said apocalyptic is a great way to describe that you know let's um let's let's back up a little bit here we want to get a um we're you know we're, we're planning on doing a full breakdown of each of the of of the islands in hawaii and we're really excited to um uh, schedule out um, hawaii island in the upcoming months um <clears throat> So just in terms of solar, you have you said you have the highest renewable energy percentage. I, I believe you said that uh, in, in, in Hawaii. Uh, Correct. And uh, that's a combination, I, I suppose, of wind and solar and, and all forms of ut- utilities, C&I. Well, in, a rank, in terms of larger contribution to smaller, it goes to, uh, geothermal, mm-hmm. wind, uh, solar, hydro, because we have a little bit of hydro here. Gotcha. That's like Parker Ranch stuff, or is some somewhere up in the uh, No, it's not Parker. It's actually right outside of Hilo on the Wailuku River. Uh, okay, okay, gotcha. So um, one of the things that we're discovering as we do some research into how, uh, how these islands are um, getting closer to 100% renewable energy, specifically we're looking at Molokai right now. We're going to go do a program out there with Maui Electric. And, um, you, you know, as it, there's, there's all these fixes that are necessary, technical fixes to get closer and closer to 100% renewable energies. And, you know, they, right, they installed a load bank, for example, in Molokai in order to be able to handle the excessive load of, of renewables. So are, are we seeing, are there any particular uh, activity or projects out there in Hawaii that we that are online that are of note, you know, in order to help us get closer and closer to more and more renewable energy adoption and deal with the intermittent nature of renewable energy? So you're talking more storage? Storage, yeah. Energy of, storage, utility yeah. scale storage. Are there any big projects going in? Is there anything on the horizon that you're aware of? or anything really cool that you're, you're focused on? The quick answer to that is, yes, there's stuff going on. No, it's not happening anytime in the immediate future. The Hawaiian Electric Companies have put out requests for proposals for all their their companies, their three companies, for uh, tens, and in the case of Oahu, 200 megawatts worth of additional renewable energy. So I believe the target here for this island is 20 megawatts, whether that comes from solar, whether it comes from wind, that's going to be up to the proposer, right? Mm -hmm. So we're right in the middle of that process now. I don't know if and when there is a deadline for the proposals to be submitted to to Hawaiian Electric, but they certainly will move forward. And, uh, you know, what the combination is going to be in terms of solar versus wind, I don't know whether it's going to require... A tremendous amount of megawatt hours for the storage. I don't know. It's a work in progress. So it's really, uh, you know, nothing is nailed down now in terms of uh, where the additional tens 
in terms of Maui Island and the Big Island, tens of megawatts of renewable is going to come from, and at what cost, of course. That's mm-hmm. also a very important question. Uh, and the same with, uh, with Oahu, except on a much larger scale. Right. You know, where is it going to go? How much is it going to cost? Will it require battery storage? What's going to be the effect on the rate payer? And so forth and so on. I mean, and I'm, I'm following this stuff on Molokai very, very closely. I've been in contact with the folks at Half Moon Venture, and I have a tremendous admiration for what they're doing over there. And been following that project very closely. I've been working on myself on Molokai for the past, gosh, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've had Molokai in my blood since I was 10, and that was a very, very long time ago. So, you know, they've already spent a considerable amount of time, money, resources to try to develop the project. And right now, it's before the Public Utilities Commission. A PPA was filed by MECO two months ago, and uh, Half Moon Venture and Molokai New Energy uh, Project. Uh, they are requesting a regulatory decision by sometime in July to allow them to move forward with uh, moving, uh, you know, getting the prog- project going in an earnest way so that it qualifies for the full 35%, excuse me, 30% investment tax credit mm-hmm. uh, from the feds, which is scheduled to go down to 26% in 2020. So, you know, there's, there's a lot, a lot in play and uh, we're getting a lot of attention from mainland developers and right. international battery companies, you know, whether it's Samsung, LG Chem, the Chinese. So it's uh, Tesla, of course. So it's, uh, it's a very rich environment right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we've seen a lot of uh, activity here in Maui as well with companies coming in from different environments, whether it's the mainland, sometimes utilities themselves coming in, and then also major uh, manufacturers from Japan and China and things of that nature, like you said. Okay, well, we're rounding out the, uh, the, the this segment, uh, Marco, and we really uh, absolutely appreciate your time, and it's been so um, illuminating to hear your perspective on renewable energies here in Hawaii. Is there any? Are there any last words that you'd like to share um, just uh, before we wrap up? Oh, well, it's been great to talk to you guys, and uh, as I said before, I think we could probably go on and on for considerably longer. Maybe we'll have the chance to do that. There's going to be the so-called Verge Hawaii Conference in about a month on Oahu, which is kind of a C&B scene, as I call it, for the energy scene. So I hope you guys get a chance to go, and uh, I'll be there along with other beautiful energy people, and uh, we continue to uh, make progress. Okay, okay. Well, uh, couldn't agree with you more, and thank you so much for all the hard work that you do, and we'll definitely look forward to uh, seeing you out there at Verge. Yeah, certainly stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, aloha. Thank you very much for having me on. Okay, that was our, a great interview with Marco Mandelsdorf uh, from ProVision Solar on Hawaii Island. Yeah, do stay safe out there. Like I said, uh, our th- thoughts and prayers go out to everybody out there who's displaced <laughs> from yeah. this event. Um, back to the news. We never get a chance for future focus, but we got about 60 seconds, so let's talk about this okay. real quick. <laughs> real quick, real quick. Um, semiconductor nanowires could revolutionary, revolutionize solar technology. This is an article off of Forbes.com uh, about solar voltaics. I know, I know it's time. <laughs> group of scientists from Lund University um, believe that semiconductor nanowires are the way forward. Basically, what they're doing is they're taking, instead of layering flat um, yeah. semiconductor material, uh, which is like a normal cell, they actually have wires through the silicon that right. will collect the electrons in a more efficient fat And what's manner. the impact of that, Jay? Um, they're, they're claiming about up to, up to about 27%, which is... 27% efficiency 27% and a 50% improvement over plain percent over so right yeah. now okay there you go folks that's the uh which goes in a little bit of future focus <laughs> keep it take take a look at that on forbes hey folks this is the solar coaster renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely maui county we are sponsored by maui solar project tabuchi electric america sonam battery pika energy and sun drum solar it's been a great show jay thank you brand a great year let's do another one here's year two right <laughs> yeah right. aloha aloha friday folks thank you have a great weekend